Hello, fellow movie lovers and Atomic Podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode of At the Cinema. I'm your host, Rachel J. Cushing, and I'm here to break down and review some of the movies out in theaters near you. This week, we'll be talking about three films currently in wide release, Bridge of Spies, Crimson Peak, and Steve Jobs. First up, we have Steven Spielberg's Bridge of Spies. As has become obvious over the years, Spielberg tends to make two different kinds of movies, whimsical and fun adventures like Indiana Jones, E.T., and Jurassic Park, and thought-provoking historical dramas like Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, and Lincoln. This latest film falls in the latter camp as it recounts the true story of James Donovan, played by Tom Hanks, a New York lawyer who in the 1950s is tasked with representing one of the most hated men in America at the time, Rudolf Abel, played by Mark Rylance, a captured Russian spy. To be honest, if the film had simply covered the trial of this man and the relationship he built with Donovan, I would have been perfectly happy, because it's an intriguing relationship between two men who are simply trying to do their jobs to the best of their ability, one as a patriot slash spy for his country, and the other as a lawyer upholding the law at a time when most Americans would have preferred he didn't do such a good job at that, because it was the Cold War and they basically wanted to see this dreaded spy put to death. So the scenes between these two also ring the most Cohen-esque of the film, as brothers Ethan and Joel, known for writing and directing such lauded films as Fargo, No Country for Old Men, and The Big Lebowski, wrote the script. Their sharpness is missing from some of the story, but shines the brightest when Abel is in the scene because, though both actors do great work, Rylance is the bigger revelation here. As we all know, Hanks can do the good-hearted everyman with his eyes closed. Rylance is more nuanced and more interesting and kind of funny at times, but in a very dry, witty way. And it's, it's just a very riveting performance. Ultimately, though, the film moves past the trial in order to incorporate a larger series of events in which Donovan finds himself in East Berlin, just as the Berlin Wall was being constructed, in order to broker a prisoner exchange with the Russians and Germans, who each held an American hostage. The Russians captured downed U-2 pilot Francis Gary Powers, while the Germans were holding a college student named Frederick Pryor in prison. So now the story takes on a lot of plot points, and you have to include them all to lead up to this prisoner exchange. And unfortunately, that lends itself to the film becoming a bit more paint-by-numbers and even a little rushed. Each of the stories individually is actually very interesting, but none of them get as much attention as they deserve because the movie is already two hours and 20 minutes long. Ultimately, though, my main issue with the film is that it feels too safe and old-fashioned. Spielberg could have made this movie 40 years ago and it would have fit right in. The hero has that aw shucks but determined quality to him. And there is danger and tension, but it's not to the point of being overwhelmingly imminent or scary. East Berlin isn't as dark or as dirty as I feel it should have been, and I never really felt like Donovan was actually in danger. And that's kind of a shame because it was in a very volatile and very interesting time in history where I think the darkness could have been explored more, and therefore Donovan's character could have shown a little brighter. However, there are some fantastic scenes. One of the ones that does capture that sense of immediacy and tension is the climax of the film, which happens on the titular bridge. And I won't go too much into it, but I will say that that was very well done, shot, edited, and acted. And the performances, as I said, are great. So it's an impeccably well-made film. This is Spielberg we're talking about after all. Some great moments, great acting. 
And it's ultimately a heartwarming story of a hero. And though I would have liked something a little bit more thought-provoking and would have liked to see Spielberg push the boundaries a little bit more like he had done with Schindler's List or with Saving Private Ryan, I can see how a lot of audiences will really, really enjoy this film. Next up, we have the gothic horror romance Crimson Peak from director Guillermo del Toro. Now, despite some rather dismal reviews and an even more dismal opening box office weekend, I ended up really enjoying this film. The story is fairly basic, but elevated thanks to some high-caliber acting by Mia Wasikowska, Tom Hiddleston, and the always fabulous Jessica Chastain. Uh, There's some absolutely stunning cinematography. Del Toro, nobody can touch him when it comes to visuals sometimes. And the costumes are just so brilliantly over the top that I fell in love with them. As the story goes, Wazakowska plays Edith Cushing, the daughter of a wealthy businessman in 19, early 1900s Buffalo, New York. She's a really rootable heroine with a penchant for writing and avoiding high society frivolity and pettiness, but of course gets swept off her feet by a visiting English baronet, Sir Thomas Sharp, who is played by Tom Hiddleston. Despite some longing glances from her childhood friend, Dr. Alan McMichael, played by Charlie Hunnam, Edith ends up whisked off to England with her new husband and his deliciously cold sister, Lucille, played by Justine. Now, amidst all of this romantic drama, it becomes clear that Edith can see and talk to ghosts. The ghosts are portrayed as very inky black and pretty creepy, but the bottom line and the thing to remember throughout this whole movie is that it isn't really a ghost story. It's just a story with ghosts in it. And I say that because that is literally a line that is in the first act of the film. Edith says it. And that's very telling. And if you remember that as you watch the rest of the movie, it won't be as disappointing as some people have claimed it is because they were expecting a ghost story. Well, the movie itself tells you it's not. So I feel like people are judging it harshly on that level. Granted, the marketing may have presented it that way, and that's an entirely other issue. But the story itself sets itself up very well. And if you catch on to that, I think it's an incredibly enjoyable and fun ride. Because once Edith arrives at Allerdale Hall in England, she starts to piece together that, of course, the Sharps aren't exactly who they say they are. And yes, it is a little bit of a predictable story, but I contend that it's supposed to be predictable because I think that this entire film is a subtle send-up of the entire horror, gothic horror, gothic romance genre. And that's what makes it almost funny and fun and interesting. And so the story itself plays out the way you think it's going to with a few genuine gasp-worthy moments here and there. I saw this in a theater, a packed theater actually here in LA, and people were really getting into it and gasping out loud and laughing out loud. And that just added to the entire atmosphere. And I think that's the atmosphere the movie was intended to create. The house is everything you want a quote-unquote haunted house to be, decrepit and falling apart, full of dust and ash and clanking sounds and moth-eaten curtains. It's just so atmospheric and fun. And the estate is built on land that is full of red clay so that when it snows, it bleeds through the snow, thus earning the entire area the name Crimson Peak. And it's just so gothic and beautiful and dark, but darkly funny. Everybody's acting over the top because that's what you do in basically what is a soap opera. And I just found the whole thing incredibly enjoyable and fun. And if you don't take it too seriously, then I think you could have a great time too. 
So I've saved the best for last, as I'm now going to pitch you the new film written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by Danny Boyle, Steve Jobs. I saw this film over two weeks ago, and I'm still thinking about it today, and that to me is one of the signs of a great movie. Now, I admit to being a huge fan of Aaron Sorkin's writing to begin with, so I may have been a little predisposed to like the film, but I have to say that Boyle is not getting near enough recognition for his work as a director. I think the pair of them worked just as well as Sorkin worked with Fincher on The Social Network. The framework of Sorkin's screenplay really limited Boyle to where and what he could shoot, and I think he did a really creative and brilliant job of working within that space, and he has such a style about him and a fast-paced rhythm that really works with Sorkin's dialogue, and I think the pair just really sold Sorkin's screenplay and brought his words to life. So the story is based on a massive biography written by Walter Isaacson, but Sorkin keeps his screenplay narrowly focused on three product launches that happened during Jobs' career. The 1984 launch of the Macintosh computer, the 1988 launch of the Next computer, and the 1998 launch of the iMac. The story plays out in almost real time as it rushes around backstage with Jobs as he interacts with a variety of people during the 30 minutes or so leading up to each of these presentations. He has run-ins with engineers, building managers, his public relations people, his boss, as well as his estranged wife, Chrisanne, and daughter, Lisa, who, for a long period of time, Jobs refused to recognize as his own. That's definitely one of the central dramas here. Now, the scenes focus on the launches, but also act as sort of a ground zero for larger questions about Jobs' personal philosophies, his quirks, his decision-making skills, and ultimately, his treatment of other people. It's a very balanced depiction, too, as it does not hold back on showing Jobs' dark side, his inability to look backwards or admit fault, act empathetic, or just plain show respect to other people, most of whom he quite simply just saw as being beneath him. Now, none of this would have worked if the acting hadn't been up to par, and thankfully, the movie stars the literal best of the best in the business right now. Michael Fassbender as Steve Jobs is, in my opinion, the best performance of this year so far, and definitely Fassbender's best performance. The movie also stars Kate Winslet as public relations uh, guru and one of Jobs' really only friends, Joanna Hoffman. And Jeff Daniels stars as CEO John Scully, who at one time was Jobs' mentor and ultimately turned into quite an enemy. So both of them give very understated, very brilliant and natural performances, but it really is Fassbender that stands out the most. His performance is not a loud one, but it, but it just goes deep and feels absolutely effortless as he channels a man who is, quite frankly, both a genius and a monster. And that just feels like it should have been an incredibly hard thing to do, but it does not come across as overworked at all. Winslet and Daniels, as I said, as well as Seth Rogen, who plays Steve Wozniak, as well as the three actresses who play his daughter Lisa at various ages, all do very natural work. Ultimately, I do understand some of the criticisms of the movie. I do get that a lot of the action and conversations in the story didn't necessarily take place at those particular launches and events, but they work for this telling and I believe accurately capture the spirit of Jobs' story. I did not at all feel that the movie was claustrophobic or stilted because of the limited locations, 
but I do admit that there are some slightly disingenuous moments between Jobs and his daughter. All of the stuff about his career and his philosophies about creating and being an artist and and what his goals were and how he went about achieving them all felt right. But some of the scenes with Lisa felt a little wedged in. I understand the motivation behind it, but they didn't always work. Sometimes they worked, but they didn't always work. Basically, though, I just I applaud everything about the filmmaking in this film. There were just so many fantastic decisions made from how and when to incorporate flashbacks, how and when to let Fassbender go off on a Sorkin monologue. There's one that takes place in an orchestra pit that just is brilliant. How Boyle used different filming techniques in order to denote the different product launches and how each launch got respectively cleaner and more sophisticated as time went on. Like All of these decisions just culminated in a riveting, fast-paced, stylish, interesting story about a man that, quite frankly, we're probably never going to truly know, but I feel like this movie captured the essence and is just... Like I said, we'll stick with you for a long time. Well, that's it, movie lovers. Of these films, I cannot recommend Steve Jobs enough and hope you all get out there to see it. I also think Crimson Peak deserves a big ch- a chance, um, especially on the big screen. So if it's still playing near you, definitely check that out. Bridge of Spies is an absolutely solid film. It's Spielberg. Spielberg never makes a bad movie. Uh, I think particularly for history buffs and Tom Hanks fans. This is a great movie for you. So I'm definitely giving it a recommendation, but I will say, please give Steve Jobs a chance and even Crimson Peak. It's not getting, neither film is getting the, um, the looks that it deserves in my opinion. So thanks so much for listening to my thoughts. If you're interested in more, please check out my movie reviewing website, getrealwithrachel.com, real with two E's as well as uh, past editions of At The Cinema on the Atomic Podcast. You can also find me on Facebook and Twitter at Rachel J. Cushing. Thanks again, and until next time, get out there and enjoy some movies. Thanks. Thanks.